All right, as the offering plates get started, I'm going to go ahead and uh, jump in. I uh, do want to say good morning and let you all know that I missed you uh, last week. Now, before I tell you about last week, I got to tell you, so I was gone, and I hadn't actually been on site for about two weeks now. And so I kind of expected, I thought, you know what, I bet they started building the building, but they just wanted to surprise me. That's what I really honestly, in the back of my head, I was thinking, they want to surprise me, so I'm going to pull up, and I'm going to see like, oh, the foundation's there, you sneakers, like you didn't tell me, and that's what, and I pulled up, and I'm like, nope, they didn't start, they didn't do anything, and so anyway, as far as the project is concerned, um, <laughs> you ask me questions as I do. So as far as I know, it's still caught up in engineering with Washington Township. Uh, I'm going to try to work tomorrow to find out an update so that I can give you a real update next week. Besides, I don't know. So I'll try to give you an update next week with what's going on. But last week, here's where I was. We went and had a kind of a family reunion of sorts in uh, Florida. Amy's mom had had her 70th birthday, and she said, for my birthday... I want to have the, the family together, so let's do that. So her, her mom and her mom's husband, they went from Oklahoma, we went from Michigan, Amy's sister went from South Carolina, and we all converged and met in Florida, and here's what's cool. It was the first time that Amy had seen her sister in 10 years, and in the time since Amy has seen her sister last, her sister has placed her faith in Jesus, she's been baptized, and I gotta tell you, it really was just a pretty special time seeing these two sisters embrace and just be able to spend time together. It was just, it really was, it was a special time, and yet, I missed you guys, so I'm really, really glad to be back with you this morning, and um, I, I didn't burn myself on my head. My shoulders are peeling like a reptile or something. But my head, I protected this thing. Like, I've learned a lesson a long time ago. You always protect the head. Anyway, have you ever heard the name Lloyd Scott, any of you? No. Okay, in 2002, think back to 2002. His name became a big name in the running world because he finished the London Marathon which is an accomplishment, right? Like if you finish a, anyone finish a half marathon, full marathon, raise your hands. Yeah, a bunch of hands, like all kinds of runners in this room. So you know, like it is, it really is. It's a big deal if you finish a marathon. Now, if you finish like in place in your class, that's an even bigger deal, right? Like, hey, I finished like third out of four, but still I finished third in, in my class. You know, that'd be a big deal. Let me tell you why this guy was so well known. Lloyd Scott Finished the marathon in five days. Now listen, I don't know, I don't know how long it took you, but listen to this time. Five days, eight hours, 29 minutes, and 46 seconds. I'm not a runner man, clearly, but that to me doesn't sound very fast. Let me tell you again, five days, eight hours, 29 minutes, and 46 seconds. That is a long time to finish, and there's a reason it took him that long to finish. You see, he was wearing a 1940s diving suit looking like that's an extra 130 pounds. Look at this next picture. This is him doing it. Yeah. So it's easy to see why wearing an extra 130 pounds, why it would take so long. So runners weren't talking about him because of how fast he was. It was the opposite, right? In fact, runners were like, what in the world is this guy thinking? Like you try to get the lightest smallest shorts that you can find, right? You don't want anything weighing you down. You try to get that moisture wicking shirt. You want the shoes that like are light as a feather and yet they can just take a pounding mile after mile after mile, right? Isn't that what you look for? 
when you're looking for your clothing to be able to do all your marathon kind of, unless it's winter in Michigan, that's a different thing, right? But mostly you're looking for light and easy to, and we get it when we think about running. But why is it that when it comes to life, we find it so hard? Like I see so many people in life that they're going through life with all this extra weight on their shoulders. And you almost look at those. Have you seen those people? Like, give me this so I know you're with me. Like, you see the people, they've just got extra weight on their shoulders. And they just keep trying to go mile after mile after mile. And we look and we go, why? Now, I think the answer why is some people don't even realize it's there. The weight of the world is on their shoulders. They don't even realize they're carrying it. Some people, they wear it like a badge of honor, don't they? They're like, well, I mean, I've earned all this weight on my shoulders. I'm going to carry this weight on my shoulder. You know, and they just think like this is, I got to do it. It makes me more tough, whatever. You know, I, I don't know. I, I just think some people think it's like a, a thing that they have to carry. And some people have just been hurt or wounded in a way that you're at that spot and you're going, I just don't know how to get this weight off of my shoulders. I don't know exactly why we carry it, but I do know this. I do know that the writer of Hebrews writes all of this to encourage us in the same way, and that is to get that off of our shoulders and run in the healthiest way possible because in the end, it will wear you down, it will wear you out, and it'll just knock you out of the race. In the end, that's always what happens. So church, we're at the very, very, very end of this sermon series. Today is the last week of this sermon series that we've been in, in Hebrews chapter 11. And so let's take our Bibles and open up to Hebrews chapter 12. Like, we've been in chapter 11 the whole time. We're going to finish in chapter 12. Go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter 12. So if this is the last week of this sermon series, that means next week is a brand new week, right? We're going to start a brand new sermon series next week. And so if you've been thinking about when should I invite someone to join, I have this person, I want to invite them to church when would be a good time next week? Next week, we're going to be in Revelation chapter 1 through 3, talking about the seven churches of Revelation. And any time we start a new sermon series, that's always the best time to invite someone in. Now, if you're here for the first time today, today is also the best time to come. Like, you shouldn't leave and then come back next week. This is also the best time. I'll catch you up with everything we've been talking about so that it makes sense. But next week, if you've been thinking about inviting someone in, Next week is a great week to do that. But first, the writer of Hebrews wrote this book of the Bible because he wanted the readers and wants us to understand a better way to live life. And the best way to live life is not carrying around all of that junk on your shoulders. Real fast time out before we really jump in. I've already said it a couple times this morning. I've talked about the author of Hebrews or the writer of Hebrews I mentioned week one, we don't know who wrote Hebrews. Some theologians think that Paul's responsible. There's other theologians that will say, I think it's Apollos. I think there's evidence that, say, that says Apollos. The reality is we don't know. Like we are not clear on exactly who wrote Hebrews. But what we do know is that the first three verses of Hebrews 12 talk about the nature and the destination of the race that we're running. He tells us that the race of faith is not done. 
He tells those in the first century who were originally reading this that their race of faith is not done, that they need to continue going. But if they're going to continue going, step number one, this is point one today, you need to abandon what holds you back. Abandon what holds you back. Look at your Bible, Hebrews 12, starting in verse one. The writer of Hebrews says this. Therefore, time out. Anytime you see therefore, always stop, always stop and go back and ask yourself, what is this therefore, right? Anytime you see therefore, go read what's before it. So before it in chapter 11, we had what's known as the hall of faith, Old Testament heroes, men and women with big faith in the Old Testament, the story of God, this encouragement to continue to run this race with endurance, right? All of that, that was what it ended with. Chapter 11 ended with running with endurance, the race that is set before us. Based on all of that, based on all that, therefore, this should be the result. Does that make sense? Based on all of chapter 11, this should be the result. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Which, which race? What's the race of the Christian faith? Right? It's you and I being Christians. We need to continue that race. And the imagery that's here is incredible, but first, this is so important. This race is not an individual race. You become a Christian by individually placing your faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And then that's where the Lone Ranger Christianity ends. Like that's where it stops right there, is by you placing your faith in Jesus. From then on, from then on, this is a group project, right? This is all of us. And you see it talked about as the great cloud of witnesses. You realize that, right? You're not on your own in this Christian journey. You just heard about it during communion. You heard about Bill and you heard about Eric and how when one part of the body hurts, we all hurt and we all rally alongside, right? That's what we're supposed to do. And so we're all supposed to be doing this together, and we're told that the Old Testament heroes, that they are actually watching as we run this race, as we are part of this journey, they are watching this whole thing. And he says, because of that, we're supposed to live like those Old Testament heroes, and we're supposed to lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely. That would have been imagery that for the first century reader would have made so much sense. Because it was a Greco-Roman culture, right? The pop culture at the time was Greco-Roman, and so they loved their sports. But they didn't do soccer or football or baseball or basketball. They didn't do that. They did running. Running was the sport of the day. And the way it would work, if you've never really read about this, is incredible. Runners would walk into the arena, packed arena full of people, and they would wear these big, long robes. Can you see it? They're walking in, and they're holding their arms out, and the crowd's cheering. They're probably doing some Hulk Hogan stuff like that, you know, to, yeah, come on, pour it on, pour on the love, and everyone would just cheer, but they're not going to run with that big, long robe. Oh, it's too heavy, right? It's too heavy to run with that big robe, and it would tangle all around their legs. They would, they would get all tangled up. So before they would run, they would literally strip off the robe, 
Now, our runners today, they don't really do that, do they? Like, if you watch runners in the Olympics, it's like they walk out to the track, and they already look like they've ran a mile. They're already sweaty and ready to go, and they got their shorts and their shoes and little tank tops. But boxing is different. Boxing is kind of this picture, isn't it? And if you have watched professional fighting, you know what I'm talking about. If you've seen the Rocky movies, you know what I'm talking about, right? When they say the name of the boxer, they start out from the locker room area, right? And they've got the hood on, they've got the robe, and it'll be like the Italian stallion on the back, right? You know, and they're holding up the belts, and, and you've got this entourage. And the entourage is pointing at all the crowd saying, you know, mama's going to knock you out and all that kind of stuff. And they're walking toward the arena. The theme music is playing, right? Always theme music playing to get everybody pumped up. And so it's like, it's a maniac, man. Right, and so the music is playing, and then they finally get into the arena. And once they get into that little boxing ring, you guys know when they get in the boxing ring, right before it's go time, what do they do? They send their entourage, they send the belts, they stop the music, they strip the robe off. Why do they strip the robe off? Well, because it's going to tangle you up. You're not going to fight the fight that you need to fight with that robe on. So let's call it a race, let's call it a fight, let's call it whatever we want. The point is crystal clear. Anything that's going to slow us down in our Christian faith, we're supposed to take it off. That sin that tangles us up, we're supposed to strip that off. Natural question then is what's tangling you up? What is it that is slowing you down in your faith journey? You know, for some, I think you would say, well, for me, it's, it's being held back because it's, it's my reputation. I've got all this stuff that I've been doing that I've surrendered to, and this part of my life is really good. But this part of my life, I look at culture and say, well, culture does this. And so this part I'm kind of hanging on to, and it's been tripping me up in my faith journey, but I've got this reputation for some, you would say, well, for me, it is someone in the church. Someone in the church hurt me. If you're new to church, like that would probably be surprising, right? You come in, everyone's real nice. It's surprising to think that someone in the church could actually hurt you. And yet it happens. So it's once upon a time, someone in the church hurt you, and you take that robe that you have on, you just tighten up the belt, and you sit down, and you cross your arms. You say, I don't know if I want to fight anymore. I don't know if I want to run anymore. I think I might be out. You just sit down, and that's what you've been doing for a little season. For some of you, it doesn't have anything to do with what anyone else has done. It's just your own pride. It's, it's your own selfish ambition. It's, it's the lust that's got you wrapped up, whatever it is. I just want to encourage you, whatever it is that you feel has been tangling your legs up, whatever it is that you feel has been slowing your arms down, when it comes to following Jesus, just strip that stuff off. It's not worth it. And before I go any further, let me just acknowledge something. I know, I know there are people in this room right now, and you're thinking to yourself, I'm not an Old Testament hero, so I'm kind of cool with not being an Old Testament hero. I'm just trying to figure out what it means to be me right now. I'm just doing the best I can at being me. I'm not that, and I I would just say fair enough. Fair enough, you're not an Old Testament hero, but did you see the last part of what it said? It said to run with endurance, with perseverance. Do you know what that means? It's not passive. 
You don't run with endurance by being passive, by saying, I'm going to sit down and have a milkshake. Like, that's, that's not how you run with endurance. You grit your teeth, you wrinkle up your face, and you put one foot in front of the other foot in front of the other foot, and you keep going, and you don't stop, and you don't quit, and you keep advancing. And that brings us to our big idea today. Our big idea is that you need to run by faith in Jesus. You need to run by faith in Jesus. And what I love is the next two verses are going to show us how to do that. Point number two is we need to look to Jesus. Look at verse two. It says, looking to Jesus. Let me pause real fast. Have you ever seen like a little kid when they're running and they're running this way, but they're looking this way? That's not going to end well, is it? Like it's never, they're going to run into a pole. They're going to run into a barn. They're going to, you can tell I grew up in Oklahoma, right? Something, you're going to run into something or you're going to look this way and what's your body going to do? Your body's going to turn to which way. That's why when you're teaching kids to ride a bicycle, you always teach them like wherever you look is where your bike is going to go, right? Look where you want to go and your bike just tends to, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Listen again. Looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. Jesus is the founder. He is the author and the perfecter of our faith. Before I, I go on, I just I want to examine that just a little bit because this is so rich. That word founder or the word author, it comes from the Greek word archegos. Archegos, that's also found, if you look in your Bible, you can just jot this note down. In Hebrews 2.10, it uses the same word. It says that Jesus is the founder, the archegos of their salvation, perfect through suffering. He is the, so the word founder, the word author, it means trailblazer. It means there's nothing, and then there's a starter, so then there's something. There was no salvation, and then there's salvation. There was a blank page, and then there was writing on the page. There was no faith, and then there was faith. There was no hope, and then there was hope. Do you see that? Like, Jesus is the one who started everything that's going on. Jesus is the beginner of all of this. And then you have the word teleotes. Teleotes means not just the finisher, but it's the perfect finisher. You ever seen people who are great at starting things, but they never finish? You know, kind of like me when I want to clean something, you know, like, Billy, go clean. I'll start to clean, and I get distracted. You know, like, I'll clean, and then I'm like, oh, I forgot I had this. You know, and then I'll sit down for a little bit, and I, whatever it is, you know, it takes me forever because I get so, Jesus didn't get distracted. Jesus did not get distracted. He perfectly started, and he perfectly finished. When we lock our eyes on Jesus, that's what we see. We see the alpha and the omega. We see the beginning. We see the end. We see the author. We see the perfecter of our faith. Isn't that beautiful? Absolutely beautiful. And then we're going to see when we look to Jesus that he endured the cross. Look at the second part of verse 2 again. Looking to Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. Do you realize that when Jesus went to the cross... He completely gave up earthly kingdom. Does that make sense? Like the disciples, they looked to Jesus 
And many of the disciples, they said, he's going to rise up like a king, like an earthly king. He's going to rise up in a way the armies will bow down to him. Basically, he's going to become another Caesar, right? That's what they were expecting from Jesus. He's going to become another Caesar. Church, hanging from a criminal's cross is not the way to attract an army. It is not the way to attract followers in the first century. And yet, Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising hating the shame. The shame of the cross was not something that Jesus looked forward to. Now, the faith that we run to is an attachment to Christ. You realize that, right? It's not, it's not a Sunday school faith or a catechism faith. And what I mean by that, if you've been in church for a long time, then you remember back in the day, the little boxes that you would check, right? You know, is God real? Yes, I believe in God. You know, and was Jesus his only son? Yes, Jesus was his only son. You'd check mark that box, right? And you'd feel good. And you would check mark all those boxes. You can understand it here. And it starts here. It starts with the head, but you should also believe it with your heart. There should be this action. And when your head and your heart come together, that's when you get to this beautiful place of locking your eyes on Jesus and having your heart wrapped around the living hope. Does that make sense? You're wrapping your heart around the living hope of Jesus. You're holding fast to that living hope. So the natural question, where are your eyes fixed when you wake up? When you get up in the morning, do your eyes fix on Jesus? Or do you say, well, I'm going to base it off my own knowledge. I'm going to base it off my skill. I'm going to base it off my family. I'm going to base it off my church. I'm going to base it off my, I don't know, my friends. My, where are your eyes fixed? Where's your hope? Where's your hope? I'm going to tell you, both individuals that I visited in the hospital this week, it was incredible to see the level of calm and peace over both men because of the hope that they had in Christ Jesus. Absolutely beautiful the way both of them approached the journey that they were facing, which brings us to our final point. Consider the joy, consider the joy that produced endurance. Look at verse 3. Consider him. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Consider him. Consider him isn't like, hey, what do you want to do for lunch? Do you want tacos or pizza? Ah, pizza sounds good. You know, you consider and you move real fast past it. Right? It's not that kind of consider. It's not consider like a jury goes back and five minutes later they come out and they say, not guilty. Woo! let's go. You know, it's not that kind of considered. This is slow, deliberate, methodical consider. This is where you slow everything down with your eyes fixed on Jesus to consider him. And when you consider him, you see something incredible. I think we think about virtue always in a way that says virtue is always selfless, but there's other levels of virtue, isn't there? Jesus shows us right here. Jesus, yes, he was selfless in the way that he went to the cross, but there was so much more to that. Jesus saw the cross, and through the cross, he saw our redemption. He saw our salvation. It was through the cross that he saw new heaven and new earth. It was through the cross that Jesus saw the hope of glory, right? That was the hope of what Jesus saw. He saw that enduring hardship was worth it for the sake of a greater goal. That was the virtue of the moment. Then during the hardship, some of you are going through hard things right now. You're going through challenges. Let me tell you, enduring that hardship is worth it 
for the greater goal. And finally, the author of Hebrews finishes with this. You do all of that. You consider the great cloud of witnesses. You fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter. Why? So that you don't grow weary and you don't lose heart. Well, that has some pretty rich meaning, actually. Grow weary. The Greek word weary there is a word so rich. It, um, it's like when you wake up early. Have you ever like done this? You, you wake up real early. The sun's not even awake yet. And you go to work. When I say go to work, I mean physical labor work. Like you start to work and you sweat and you, and you work a long day. And you walk inside at the end of the day. Have you ever had that day? Like you walk in from that day in a tree, you walk in and, and you're tired, like your bones are tired, aren't they? Your, your hair, if you have hair, your hair is tired, your teeth are tired, like all of you, all of you is just tired. You're weary, that's the word. The word is weary. Weary is when you are just bone tired and lose heart. Those two words together are actually fantastic. Aristotle used it a few times when he was talking about runners. He said that runners would get right across the line after one of those long races, and they would lose heart. You know what that means? It means they would collapse right there. Right after, I'm just going to collapse. I can't go one more step. I lost heart. Lost heart. I can't go one more step. I'm done. Can I just tell you that um, you have a spiritual enemy and Satan hates you and he wants for you to grow weary and he wants for you to lose heart. He wants for you to quit. He wants for you to say, I can't love them anymore. I can't possibly love that person one more time. I can't serve anymore. I can't, I can't give anymore. I can't, I can't selfless anymore. I can't, and you're in this faith journey, and you're just so weighed down that you put your robe, you cinch it up, and you sit down, and you say, I physically don't know if I can take one more step. The writer of Hebrews writes this to say, church, listen, there's a better way. There's a greater way, and you find that by locking your eyes on Jesus. Not on all that junk, not on all that funk of life, Fix your eyes on Jesus, the beginner, the founder, the author, and the finisher, the perfect finisher of our faith. But sometimes, sometimes you do kind of feel weary, don't you? Um, I hate this story, just so you know. I don't like sharing it at all. But a few years ago, Literally, like two and a half years ago, that's where I was. I was at that place of weary. In fact, I was praying, God, please, please let me never have to preach again. Like, I think I want to be done. I don't want to do this anymore. Um, I, I don't think I can do this anymore. Please let me be done preaching. Clearly, he answered different than what I prayed, right? Because <laughs> yeah, I'm still here. But there were people in my ear through that season saying, Billy, fix your eyes on Jesus. Billy, don't quit. Billy, don't give up. Billy, just listen and be obedient. Step where he says to step. And so I guess I, I'm here because I want to give you some of that same encouragement. For the person in this room that's looking at son or daughter, mom or dad, husband, wife, and saying, I, I don't know if I can love that person anymore. 
my encouragement to you is don't grow weary. Don't lose heart. You keep going. You endure. You put one foot in front of the other. To the person who's saying, I just don't know if I can serve. I've been serving for such a long season, and it just seems like no one even notices, you know, and I just, I don't know. I might just quit. I might just go to church and be a normal person, whatever that means, right? I just, I just want to go to church for, for the rest of my life. My encouragement to you is the pain that you feel today, there is this greater, there's this greater victory that's waiting, and you are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, my friend. You're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. So you throw off anything that's tangling you up. You continue to run this race. To the person who's saying this whole Christian faith all together, like I just don't know if it's worth it to me. My encouragement is just look in the mirror and ask yourself, is there some sin that's tangling me up just a little bit that I've been ignoring? I haven't wanted to acknowledge that sin. I know it's going to create some havoc in your life. I know relationally it's going to do some messing up. I know that, that reputation-wise it may do some messing up. I just want to encourage you to do hard things. Strip off the sin that's tangling you up. Because when you start to lock your eyes on Jesus, you're going to find this joy that you never knew. You're going to find this joy that is so freeing in life. And to everyone else, I just want to say this. I want to say thank you for running the race well. Church, we hear messages like this, and you're like, man, I thought I was doing okay until I heard the message, and now I don't know anymore. And um, You're doing such a wonderful job of living out what it means to be the church. Continue to do that. Continue to love selflessly. Continue to love the Lord your God so much that you do what the Bible tells us to do. Continue to love your neighbor as yourself, whether they go to church here or not. When you see a need of a brother or sister in Christ in the church, be quick to jump in and say, I'll pray. I'll serve. What do you need? I'm there. Let's continue to run this race. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the gift of life today. We thank you for your holy word, the encouragement in Hebrews 11 and 12. We thank you that while we may not know the author of Hebrews, we know you. The author, the perfecter, of our faith. Lord, continue to show us what it means to take the foundation that you've laid and live out this truth in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Church, at this time, I want to encourage you to stand as we close our morning and worship together.